0: laugh and cry. That's what they do. So like, if you can make them laugh or cry, and if you make them do both, you really get extra points, and they go out really happy. Um, teachers get a bad rap, I'm telling you. Um, the other thing preachers do is they tell lots of stories, and they don't even have to be true. As long as they make you laugh or cry, they're fine. So um, I w- <laughs> he's like, don't tell anyone secrets. Preaching secrets. Um, I had a, did anyone of y'all know Walter Albritton? Remember Walter? Yeah, Walter's been around a long time in this area. And uh, he used to preach at the church I worked at before I worked there. And um, Walter had a grandbaby and a little girl. And um, one day he was with her and told her a story that was a little bit hard for her to believe. And she said, now, Paul, are you telling the truth or are you just preaching? So <laughs> Preachers can tell stories. They don't even have to be true. So just kidding. See, I know Alan don't do that. Teachers get a bad rap, though. Um with a teacher, you just kind of feel like you're going to get homework, and that's always scary. So, But this is called Dive, and the purpose of Wednesday night is for us to dig a little bit deeper, and we're going to do that tonight, so I hope you're ready. Um, there's fill-in-the-blanks if you want to use them. Some people prefer to have guides that walk you through the whole thing. Some people don't, so take some kind of notes, though, because um, stuff has changed my life over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and, um, and it'll change all of our lives if we let it, so well, uh, you've heard Alan say several times, um, almost every week in some form, he says something like, We are a spirit, right? We have a soul, and we live in a body, in a body right? Um, that's a really key principle that um, there's lots of different term, terminology terms that people use to describe that. The one that I tend to use is a tripartite. Sounds like a big old word, but it really just simply means three parts. Tri means three, partite means it's divided. So um, that the man, the person is divided into three parts. And um, that's where we're going to dig into tonight. And it's so important to understand that uh, because two of those factions, two of those divisions, war against one another, right? The the, the flesh or the body and the spirit. And then right in between those two rests the battleground of it all. And uh, that's called our soul. And so if we understand that and we can kind of uh, know how that whole thing works, it, it just equips us to actually fight the battle um, with more uh, resources and more understanding. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It's on your handout, or you can open your Bible, and I think it's on the screen. So lots of ways to look at it. A simple little verse. I don't actually have it written down. Then the Lord got... Oops, just back up there. Can you go back to the very first slide? Go one more, one more. De- yep, that's it. Okay, First Thessalonians five twenty three. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify. Big word there, but we hopefully know what it means. It just means that you're being made whole, you're being made right with the Lord. It's the growth process of salvation. Salvation was, has been, and will be. Right, it's a process that we go through. Now, once we're saved, we're saved. You know, um, we're we're made right with the Lord. But then there's a process of growth that we go through called sanctification. So Paul here is uh, talking to the Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica, and says, uh, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. It's the next word? Completely. So what does he mean by completely? May your whole body, soul, and spirit be made blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure how someone can read that and disagree that there's three parts to man. I mean, it's, it's clearly delineated right there. Oh, hand out. There's one that's kind of been written on. Uh, there's, uh, it's really, really clear there that Paul views the man with three parts, body, soul, and spirit. But there's tons and tons of ideas um, and philosophies about how the man is composed. Um, there's bipartite, which means that man, typically they say they're soul and body. So they kind of combine the soul and spirit into one. And actually, I just heard recently, I was talking to a mentor of mine that talked to me about a mono, I forget what it was called, but it's, it's like the body, soul, and spirit are all one, uh, and there's no division between the two. But I think it's really clear with Paul, but even more so as we go in and see how, in Genesis, how God created man, that we are three parts. I don't have a watch. That's really important. So when I have 10 minutes, just like throw something at me or something, okay? And we'll, uh, we'll take care of that. Sorry about that. Yeah. Or throw me a phone or something. Um, so, but here we see that Paul delineates the three. Um, and then the youth have been, if you don't know what the youth's doing right now, it's really cool. Like, I really, I wish Keith was here so I could say it to his face, and I have, but publicly, that he's doing a really great job with discipling the youth and not just entertaining the youth. Uh, one of the things they're doing is they're reading a chapter a day or so from the Bible and journaling through, and then they bring their journal to class and talk about it. And they just finished the book of Romans. I think they finished Romans in three weeks. That's crazy, isn't it? That's pretty intense. And um, all of them, I, kinda, I come up here and do the library and kind of do church work. It's kind of my time I set aside to do things that I'm doing to help around here. And I listen in to the youth sometimes and I kind of spy on Keith. And, um, <laughs> and I noticed when they got to Romans 7 and 8, it kind of they bogged down just a little bit. It's tough. Romans 7 is tough, isn't it? What's Romans 7 talk about? That's the one where Paul says, I really want to do the right things, but I don't. And then the things that I really don't want to do, those are the things that I do. It's this internal battle with Paul, right? Verse 22 of chapter 7, and I want, as we're going through here, circle the last Romans, um, I'm sorry, the Thessalonians verse that we read. If you want to circle that body, soul, and spirit, I also would love for you to circle when you see the three parts in this next verse. They're called something different. They use different terminology. Paul uses a different terminology here for each of those. But it's the same principle. So verse 22, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I, my soul, my person, I delight in doing... Oops, I lost my place. Uh, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see my members, in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Hear that war, right? You've got this war between the members of his body, his flesh, and his inner man. Now, stuck in between that, uh, he refers to his mind. He calls it his mind here. That his mind is where the battlefield is happening between the inner man and the members of his body. Um, And then he goes on and says, And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, if I stop there, that's a pretty drab, dark um, outlook on life, isn't it? I'm stuck, right? Fortunately, we're not going to read it, but fortunately as you get into 8 and through 12 of Romans, it gives us hope, and it talks about how the Lord overcomes this, uh, this uh, slavery. And he even kind of just pokes at it right here. Uh, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. That um, Greek word that he uses right there is noose, N-O-O-C-E, okay? Um noose is the ability of man to think. It's, it's the organ, really it's our mind, our brain. It's the organ. At the time, they thought it was the heart, and I don't know, maybe it still is, but the Greeks would have thought of that as the heart, whereas we think of it as the brain. Or, or the Jews, too, right, would say the same thing. So, um, the ability to think and reason, the ability f- to feel emotions, and the ability to make decisions. Okay. So he uses the word mind here. I would say that's probably the same thing as what we're going to refer to as soul as we move forward in this teaching. Um, but I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. In other words, I've got my mind in the right place. right? But my struggle is with, but my flesh, but with my flesh I serve the law. The word there he uses for flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X in Greek, and it's literally meat on the bone. Okay, now... With that said, he doesn't say my meat on the bone causes me to sin. It's not our, flesh, it's not our meat on our bone that's, that's evil. Okay? It says that, the, um, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So what he's saying here is that the law of sin is what drives me, what, what battles my spirit, but the residence of the law of sin is in my flesh. So you know, there was this big movement of Gnosticism 2,000 years ago where they beat their body, you know, like they just ended up just mutilating their body because they thought that their body was evil. Our body's not evil. It's our sin nature that's evil. Its residence, the place where it lives, is in our sarks, our flesh, our meat on the bones. So, so we do struggle with our body. We struggle with, um, you know, our hormones and our emotions and all of those things which are, are physical, um, but it's the nature of sin that we'll talk about as we get into Genesis here that, that's actually pulling us away from the Lord So here we talk about the noose, or the mind, and the sarks, the flesh. And then he also talks about that this uh, law of sin resides in my members. That word is melos, M-E-L-O-S, and actually means a limb, one of your limbs of your bodies. Um, So it's a physical term, a tangible term. So um, again, if you want to circle the body, soul, and spirit in this passage, you've got my inner being, I think Paul was referring to the spirit there, because that's the part of him that wants to serve the Lord, that wants to obey the law. Um, And in my members would be the uh, body, right? So we got body and spirit so far. And then the mind, he refers to here, the noose, uh, which I think he's referring to the soul, would be the soul. So those are the three things I would circle if I was doing that. So the foundational teaching here again is that we are a spirit. Here's your fill in the blank. We have a soul, and we live in a body. We live in a body. I had a really cool four-minute video here, but we can't show it because we can't get it to work. So just imagine this really cool video about the creation of, you know, the seven days of creation. Um, Ready? Okay, think about it. There it is. You see it. It's got really cool music, lots of lights and flashes and bangs. Yeah, it was great. Okay, moving on. It's a good video. Okay, so Genesis 2-7, to understand, like, how we work and how we function and how we're composed, it's really important to go back to the very, very beginning, right? God actually tells us how he created man. He tells us that he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the ocean and the, and the land and um, the plants of the field and the fish of the sea. He tells us that he created all of those, but he actually tells us how he created man, right? So that should tell you that we're a little bit more important, a little bit higher uh, in his standard. We also created us on day six, and right after he created man, he stopped and he looked and he was like, creation is complete. Like man is the capstone of creation. It's the, uh, it's the last brick in the wall, right? And uh, once man was created, everything was complete. And he said, it is very good, very good. It's very good. Um, so he's very, he, we have a place, it is finished. That was Jesus, but, <laughs> but he did say that, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, it is. It is good. It is very good. So, two um, seven, Genesis two seven, Genesis two seven. No, I'm sorry, Genesis one twenty seven. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created them, male and female He created them. Image of God. What image is God created in? Is God a spirit that has three parts? Have you ever thought that us being created in the image of God, maybe there's a little little nugget there that we're a spirit with three parts? Now we're not God, right? But he created us in that image of a spirit with three parts. Um, man, um, man made God's creation complete. He saw everything and then he called it good. And then he comes back and he didn't do this again with any other of his pieces of his creation, but he came back in chapter 2 and he wants to reiterate, this is how I created man. So it's really important. I don't care. You don't need to know how I created the animals, how I created the sun and the moon and the stars and the ocean. But man, I want you to know how it happened. And so in verse chapter 2, verse 7, we're going to look at three words here and we're going to dig into these three words. Then the Lord God formed, formed, that's one of our words. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living being. I want you to circle three words. Formed, breathed, oh no, I'm sorry, breath of life, and living being. Let's slide forward there one slide. Go forward one more there, Hamp. We're going to look at those three words. The word formed is the word in Hebrew. We're back in the Old Testament, so we're in Hebrew versus Greek. Yatsar. It's spelled Y A -S S A R is pronounced Yacht Y A W T S A R, Yachtsar. And what that word means is that he squeezed into shape. You ever made a snowman? Right? You gather all this stuff up and you squeeze it into shape. Have you ever oh I used to have a really, really good friend that was the most amazing beach sand sculptor that you ever lay your eyes on. Like we it was in college, so we would drive down to the beach and he would make this big old seahorse or seashell and people would just walk by and just gawk like it'd be like 10 feet long and people would just be blown away so he took sand he would wet it he would compress it together and he would form something have you ever heard the michelangelo quote he said somebody he just finished this beautiful angel sculpture and somebody asked him how he did it he said i saw an angel in the rock and i carved it to release her have you heard that before so the point is that She was already there and he just carved it. Now the difference in sand sculptures and angels, and I saw an angel in the marble and I carved to set her free. The difference in those versus us is that God did the same thing. It literally says that he formed us. The word again is squeezed into shape, the body, but he did something else that actually gave us life. Now that angel is going to be there for probably eternity, well, until the earth is destroyed, but she's going to be there. Right, she's just going to be looking pretty. Those sand sculptures. The next morning, when high tide comes, those sand sculptures are gone. Right. Um, so, and it's the same word that's used for the potter's wheel, like a potter, yatsar, the um, the uh, pottery. He squeezes it into shape. All that dies away. It never, it never gets up and walks away and makes decision and thinks and has a relationship with the Lord and has a wife and kids. Right. That's not going to happen. So the difference there is that it says God breathed into him the breath of life. The breath of life is the Hebrew word ruach. Michael can help me. If I say something wrong, throw something at me. Ruach, okay? I can't say it without ruach. Ruach. Got to do... Yeah, got to do You There you go. Um, And uh, what that refers to is the spirit of God or the breath of God, the wind of God. And so you have this little man of clay, like a man laying on the ground that the Lord has shaped together, either with his hands or his words, we're not sure, Um, and then he breathes into that clay figure his breath. Isn't that crazy? And then when that clay meets that breath, boom, you've got a living being. It's amazing, isn't it? So the soul. That word living being is nefesh, it sounds like N-E-F-E-S-H, but it's actually n-e-p. E-S-H, the Hebrew word nefesh, refers to soul. So the three words I want you to pull out of this, um, this description of how man was created is yatsar, which is formed, actually literally squeezing clay into a, into a model, the breath of life, the spirit of God, which is our spirit living within us, and the soul, the nefesh. Um, and again, soul, the way I like to refer to soul is the ability, the mind, ability to think, reason the will, the ability to make decisions, and the emotions, the ability to feel things, uh, the soul. And then everything was wonderful. Like God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and they had the life that we'll, we'll not have until we get to the other side. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll get to experience what it is, but they had it here on earth, like real life stuff. And, um, and then, obviously, the bad news is the fall happened, right? Now, the fall... Um, before the fall, God said, I placed in this garden, you know, this tree with this fruit, and if you partake of this fruit, you will surely die, you will surely die, okay? Now, what Satan likes to do is he likes to take the words of the Lord and twist them, you got it right that time, (laughs) twist them, right? So sometimes Satan doesn't even lie to us, he just deceives us with a half-truth. Right? Okay, most of the time. That's when it's easiest to follow Satan is when he's just kind of putting a carrot in front of your face and giving you half-truths. And he did that here. So we think, well, he lied to to Eve because he said, I know that God said, do not partake of this fruit or you will surely die. You will not surely die. Well, that actually was a half-truth and let me show you why. Um, Scripture says that, this scripture that we're reading actually says that that our enemy is very crafty. He's very um, strategic. And, and so what he did was he, he said that God was lying. However, um, let's see what happens. So we know that Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, um, and the, the, the Lord said they would surely die, which in my mind is immediately. Like, you're, if you take this, it's all over. Did they physically die? No. Did they soulically die? Did they quit thinking and making decisions and having emotions? Okay. So in that sense, maybe Satan was being deceptive, right? So in that, those two senses, that was true. They didn't... Now, it set into motion a pattern of death, which would eventually take their life. But at that moment, did they spiritually die? How do we know that? We know that they spiritually died because their relationship with the Lord was broken. Okay? Now, if we believe that the breath of God in us, the Spirit in of us, is the part of us that relates to the Lord, the only part of us that can hear the Lord, Scripture says that those who don't have the Spirit do not understand the things of the Spirit. So we understand God, we hear God, we relate to God, we talk to God through the person of our spirit. Our soul can't talk to God and our body can't talk to God. Now we can use our body, we use our mouth, and we can use our mind to talk to God, but that's, if we're truly praying in the spirit, in spirit and truth, it's the spirit praying through us, right? Which is where we can get a prayer language as well, which, you know, talk about that another night, that's not the topic, but... It's the Spirit of the Lord praying through us. He's using our mind, He's using our words, He's using our thoughts, and He's using our mouth. So, but it's coming, it's emanating from the Spirit, which makes it spiritual. I kind of came to Revelation a couple months ago about the word spiritual, um, and I was like, what does that mean? And I was wrestling with it, and um, I came to the conclusion that spiritual, that word means emanating from the Spirit. So anything that comes from the Lord or comes from our Spirit, because we communicated with his spirit is spiritual. So lots of things can be spiritual. Um, You don't want to take that too far, but spiritual comes from the spirit. So they had a broken relationship with the Lord, and I believe what really happened was the Lord's word is true, and they died. But they died a spiritual death. So a spiritual death is one of your fill-in-the-blanks is what happened at the fall. Now every person, there's one person that was... I'm, this might be a trick question, so be careful with it. But Adam was born of the Spirit. Like, Adam was born, not born of man. He was born of God, right? Didn't have a physical father, right? Now, everybody following Adam from that time forward was in the loins of Adam, right? Come, came from Adam. And so we came, we took on his characteristic of a dead spirit from the time we're born. Now, yes, there's an age of accountability, and the Lord's not just going to send a little kid that might pass away to hell Um, But as far as like from the big picture of human life, we're born with a dead, a a dormant or a dead spirit. And so however long that you're alive before you accept the Lord, you have that long to practice uh, pleasing the body and the soul. So I became a Christian when I was 15. So the first 15 years of my life, I learned really well how to please my body and please my soul. But I I couldn't communicate on the level of the spirit because it was dead. In the moment that I accepted the Lord into my life, he breathed his ruach, a pneuma in the New Testament. The Greek word is pneuma. He breathed into me the breath of life, um, and my spirit came alive. My spirit was resurrected. So from that point forward now, I have the ability to communicate and to commune and have a relationship with the Lord. I have the ability to understand spiritual things, which I didn't have before I, I knew the Lord, right? It's pretty amazing if you think about it. Let's look at what Jesus says about this. Um, we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 3. Everybody knows... Um, I'm sorry, John. i put it wrong in my notes. If it's wrong in your notes, sorry. John chapter 3. Everybody knows John 3.16, right? Well, what happens before that and where does that, that um, truth come from? It comes from a conversation with Mr. Nicodemus. Mr. Nicodemus was a pretty cool guy because Michael back there can tell you about Pharisees. They got it together, don't they? They think they do, right? In the eyes of the world and in the eyes of the Jews, who were God's people, um, they, they got it together. They're doing everything right. Not only does the scripture say that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, it also said that he was a ruler of the Jews. So he had some kind of special position. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but he did everything right in the eyes of the Jews, okay, in order to get to that level. He probably, by the time he was 14 years old, could probably quote the first five books of the Bible word for word. It's probably Nicodemus, okay? So he had it all together. Spiritually, at least, it looked like on the outside. But inside, he knew that he was missing something, right? Because he came to Jesus. What time of day did he come to Jesus? He came at night. He wanted to hide because he was a little bit nervous about going and asking the Lord and maybe what his friends might say about him, right? And uh, he said, you know, what what I need to do to make this right, what I need to do to really have a right relationship with the Lord, with God. And um, Jesus said that you must be Born again. And I love it. It's really comical as you're reading through it because, you know, I'm sure they were all laughing when Nicodemus said, What am I supposed to do? Climb up in my mother's womb, get back in her belly, come back out again? You know, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. And Jesus said, No, that in order to be right with God, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, the water birth is probably, you know, a physical, fleshly birth. So when you're in your mother's womb, you're in a sack of water. And so to be born of water, probably, now some people would apply that to um, baptism, but I don't really think you have to be baptized to know the Lord. So I think that what he was probably talking about there was um, physical birth from your mother's womb. So you have to be born, and then subsequently to being born in water, from water, then you have to be born of the Spirit. And uh, if, if anyone have a Bible that doesn't have the words, well, I don't know if you're looking at your Bibles, but most all Bibles have that word Spirit capitalized there. So we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, the Greek word again is pneuma, breath of God, um, and spirit is capitalized. Uh, and so he goes on to say, the things that are born of the flesh are flesh. Okay? So if you come out of your mother's womb and you enter this world, you, you have a fully active and alive flesh. But those, of the, those that are born of the spirit are spirit. So not until you, re- you uh, experience a spiritual birth do you have a spiritual life. And so again, you practice fleshly life, or carnal life, we call it, for the first X years of your life. Um, so you've got to imagine, you know, it's gonna, that sanctification process is going to take some time. You know, now there's some supernatural things that will happen. You know, I've had people say, I supernaturally quit doing this, and quit doing this, and I didn't have to even work hard to quit this. God could choose to do that, but as far as like a full, whole sanctification, body, soul, and spirit, it, it might take some time. And that's okay, because the Lord's got plenty of time, doesn't he? He's not limited by time. So what we just did was we just defined salvation. So if you've ever thought about what does it mean to be saved, we just defined it. It means that spiritually, your spirit is dead from the time you're born until the time that the, the Lord Jesus breathes his breath into you, and then you have a new spiritual life. And so at that point you're a little bitty spiritual baby, a little baby, all over again. Isn't that cool? Um, and then you know what little babies do? They start out completely dependent upon their their parents, right? And so that's what we do as a church. We just we see these people come to the Lord and we allow them. You know not you know not enabling them, but we allow them to be dependent. You know to you know they might not want to study the Bible on their own. They might not want to try to know the truths of the Lord yet. But we just let them grow. We let them babble and coo and began to toddle and, you know, until they actually are like walking on their own, you know. So that's kind of that's actually is a definition of discipleship. And that's what we want to do here, right? Pretty cool definition of discipleship. So, um so now Nicodemus, don't don't look down on him. You know, he walked on that particular night, I think, didn't he? I think he walked that night. We don't really know exactly how that whole thing happened, but Later on in, in um, uh, John chapter 7, Nicodemus is actually defending Jesus with the Pharisees. I mean, they're going to take him out and, and Nicodemus and slows him down and talks some sense into him. So he actually defended Jesus in chapter 7. And then in John chapter 19, he was the person who brought the spices to Jesus' burial. So he got it. It might have taken him a little while, but he, he got it. So I, I'm really proud of Nicodemus. He came by night, He's a little bit of a coward, But he came, he had the courage to come, and then we see that he actually was one of the ones that helped put Jesus to rest, which is really cool. So three mentions of Nicodemus in in the book of John. So if we go back to Genesis now that we've kind of defined the spirit coming to life, the Ruach breath of God being breathed in and having a new spiritual life, we go back to Genesis and uh, back to where Adam has blown it and Eve has blown it. How does God fix that problem? So they the you know, whatever, next morning they wake up, they're walking through the through the forest and the Lord calls Adam's name and he does what he hides from God because he's ashamed of what he's done, right? What does God do to fix the problem? He covers them with the animal skin. Animal skin. Big leaves is in the little children's Bible though. I remember the picture. <laughs> I think that's before the fall. But I'm picking on you. I'm sorry, Mindy. But um, so God actually covers their sin with animal skin, which requires a dead animal, right? So their sin is covered through the sacrifice of an animal. And so how can can a, a Jew that believes in this stuff that we're talking about not catch this when it comes to Jesus because it required a sacrifice to cover our sins, right? Um, So God made things right with man, um, or made man right with God through sacrifice, through blood sacrifice. Now, thank God we're not living 5,000 years ago. Like, we've had one sacrifice, and that's when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, yeah! Right? So now it is finished, and we don't have to do all that stuff anymore. I knew you would get it. Good job. So um, so can you see all of these principles just recycling themselves throughout Scripture, right? Okay, um, we're going to define the three words really quickly and give you a few um, descriptions of the body, spirit, soul. The body, again, is flesh. Um, the actual Hebrew word for body is adam, A-D-A-M. That's where the adam comes from. I thought that was pretty interesting. So adam is the body? It's represented by the physical body. Now, again, it's not the physical body; it's the sinful nature. But the Bible tends to represent it as a physical body. Physical body itself is not evil; it's the sin nature that resides in the body. I like to refer to the sin nature as both singular and plural. The singular sin nature is the um, what draws us into sin. So it's what's pulling us away from the Lord. So when you're In the middle, and I hate preaching with my mom here because she's also she's she's also my. I love you being here, don't get me wrong, but she's my she's my office manager at work, so she and I have to have money talks. And when things are not good, I just blow my top. So I live into my flesh sometimes. I'll admit it. And same with my kids and my wife. You know, we all do. But it sometimes makes you feel like a hypocrite when you're talking about this stuff. But that's the nature of preaching, right? And teaching. Um, so sometimes I land in the flesh. Um, but the, the thing that draws us, the sin nature, the death of the Spirit within us is singular. It's one sin nature. But as we bow down and submit ourselves to that sin nature, then we have sinful behavior, so we can have lots of sins. So the sinful behavior that you see in people, including myself, um, that's not the root of the sin. You know, the ugly behavior is a fruit of the singular sin. And so if we're trying to take care this is a great parenting lesson. If we're trying to take care of all this all these sins plural and we're not getting to the sin singular, it's never going to work. You know, they're just going to keep doing this and doing this. So anyway, singular and plural. So body is flesh or Adam. Spirit is Ruach in the Hebrew, Numa in the Greek. It's in both the Old and New Testament. It's the breath of God living within us that lies dormant until salvation when we are then born of the Spirit. Okay, we've already talked about that. And the soul is in the flesh. It's our personality, who we are, that makes us unique from anyone else. It's our mind, our ability to think, our will, our ability to make decisions, and our emotions, our ability to feel. And it is where the body and spirit meet. That's something really important. And it's the part of us that we are responsible to steward. I don't control the Holy Spirit. If I try, I'm in big trouble, right? I don't even want... I've, somebody always, a friend of mine always says, I've seen God's job description and I don't want it, right? I don't, the, the spirit blows wherever it wants to blow, right? I don't control it. I don't want to have any part with the sin nature, right? I don't even want to... But what the one of the three parts of me, the one that I have responsibility to steward well and to manage is my soul, my mind, will, and emotion, and again, that's where the battlefield is. There's a Joyce Meyer book that's wonderful. I think it's out there on the library shelf, The Battlefield of the Mind, right? So your mind is your ability to decide, am I going to swing toward the spirit or am I going to let myself slide toward the flesh? So that's where our responsibility is. So this is something really interesting. I thought the body, apart from the spirit, is carnal. Carnal, Mexican word carne, meat, Right? Um, so if you just have the body without the spirit, it's just, it's just a hunk of meat, you know, and it's going to go toward flesh. The soul, apart from the spirit, is non-existent. Did I change that word on there? I think I did on your notes. The body, apart from the soul, because I really wouldn't say non-existent, I would say, um, is it blank? Okay, let's say non-existent then. Because without the breath of God, we wouldn't have a, a soul, right? That's what created our soul. I don't, I'm not real comfortable with what I just said, but I'll come back and fix it later if I need to. Uh, not tonight. But, um, but the um, body apart from the soul is a vegetable. Lourdes told me the coolest story Sunday about when she had a car accident and she was laying in a coma. Ask her about it. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you a little nugget and you can ask her the rest. She was laying in a coma and she had an out-of-body experience. So her body was dead, and her, her soul and spirit, probably soul and spirit, just rose up and watched what was happening in the room. That was really cool to ask her about it. Which to me is proof that the body and the soul and spirit are somehow, you know, they work together, but they're not the same. Um, and so there's a light bulb analogy that's really cool. Is that picture of the light bulb up there? Um, so in a light bulb, you have glass and wire and components, right, without plugging them into a socket. They're just glass and wire and components. They're good for nothing, right, except for recycle. And then when you plug it into the Holy Spirit, you plug in, plugged in youth camp, right? When you plug it in, then all of a sudden light illuminates the room, which would be the, some form of the soul. So body is the components, spirit is the electricity, and the illumination would be the soul. Um, so I think that's a pretty neat analogy. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Right, Lourdes, you experienced a little bit of that. Just a taste of that, didn't you? Pretty cool. The body is world conscious It's always aware of what's going on out here. Um, and, and what's cool is it came from the earth. So the fact that it was formed from the earth made it conscious of the earth. The soul is self-conscious. Always think whoops, always think about me. And the spirit is God-conscious. John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That's a great scripture. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Good one. The person without the Spirit does not accept or understand the things of the Spirit. That's found in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. It says he cannot even understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So again, if you're trying to teach deep spiritual principles to someone who don't have the Lord in their life, not going to work. That's why Sunday morning we tone it down a bit, right? We have a broader group of people. It's not that we're seeker sensitive. We just want to speak everyone's language, right? And that's why you guys, you got it together. So you're here Wednesday night and you get the, you get the meat, right? Yep. Have you <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and we can be ruled by the flesh or we can be ruled by the spirit. And we have the responsibility to choose. And we have the freedom to choose. That's the beauty of it. God loved us enough to let us choose. Now, we make bad decisions, right? And we pay our consequences. But the beauty of God and his love for us is that he loved us so much, he gave us a choice to choose. And I, you know, I don't always, but I want to choose the spirit, right? Um, and so we steward these three parts um, through not being conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Good stuff. What do y'all, y'all learn some things and engage? us? good stuff. Lord... God, this is big stuff. This is uh, not for the faint of heart. It's not, um, it's not the milk. It's the meat. So um, help us to embrace the truth here and help us to live into the responsibility of our mind, will, and emotion to place itself in the Spirit. And uh, remind us that the Spirit is who we are. Um, we are a spirit. We have a soul. And we live in a body, Lord. And a blessing to everyone here. Now may, God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless as the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.